welcome to the Ridge Church. We're so excited that you're here with us, whether that's online or also on the campus. We're excited about what God's going to do today. My name's Brad. This is Brett. We're both pastors here, and we're going to take a few minutes and just share with you some of the things that are going on in the Ridge Church. There's so many exciting things, and before we worship, we just want to take this time. Yeah, so the first thing that we have is our Silver Saints annual auction, and so that is this Tuesday, November the 17th at 11.30. Um, every year, our Silver Saints, they bring in these different items, and they have a blast bidding on them, and all of the proceeds benefit single moms. They are asking that if you're going to donate items toward this that you'll have all those things in by this Monday. Also gearing up for Christmas our choir is practicing this week Tuesday night at 6 30 Saturday morning at 9 30. Um, this Saturday, Saturday the 21st, we are having at 10 o'clock a Widow's Hope gathering. So if this is something that you want to come and just be encouraged, they meet in the Lydia's room. You're kind of getting a theme here. We've got a lot of Christmas holiday things going on. Well, it seems crazy, but Thanksgiving is already coming up. And we are having our annual Thanksgiving meal next Sunday. We will serve that meal after the 930 service and after the 1050 service. So if you come to either one of those services, come hungry. It's one of my favorite Sundays we have because I just like to eat. And so 9.30, 10.50, after each of those services, go over into the gym and enjoy a great Thanksgiving meal with your family. We also have another food event. Um, it's called our Ladies Advent Brunch on December the 5th. So Bobby is going to be hosting this with Rejoice Women's Ministry. So if you have any more questions, I know it's still a little bit a ways away, but we just want to make sure you put that on your calendar now so you don't forget about it. Man, I, I'm getting excited about Christmas. I'm really excited that our ladies are going to be celebrating Advent. Mm -hmm. We are also excited during this time to give and to show our gratitude. Thanksgiving, Christmas is an awesome opportunity for us to give as, as people who have been blessed with so much. And so during this season, on the Sundays of in November, we often do dollar offerings, and we've been doing those this month. These are opportunities for you to look at the list and see if there's something that you feel like the Lord is drawing you towards. There's no expectation. There's no obligation. It's just if you really feel like the Lord is leading you a certain way, these are great ways for you to plug into some of the missions that we have and some of the things that we are able to do as a church family. This Sunday morning, our dollar offering is for our coat drive. We take these this money and we're able to go and get some coats and working with Pacific School, we're able to reach out to those uh, those teachers and the principal and just as the weather is getting cold, they start to see some of the kids who aren't bringing a coat and we're able to find out what kids those are, what sizes they would need and then go get a really good coat at the store, a brand new coat that we can give to them that those teachers can give to those students a coat that those kids would be proud of and it's also opened up some yeah. really great doors for brett at pacific school yes um so those are the things that we have going on as roger always says check your bulletin um, we may have missed something in there but we just want our church family to be informed and to know what's going on so you guys can get plugged in and you can serve um, and so there's all kinds of different opportunities here at the ridge church we just want to take now this moment to prepare our hearts and get ready. So at this time, if you'll just stand up, we're going to go ahead and sing to our Savior and our King, and we're just going to lift him high this morning. So thanks for being here, and let's worship. As he said, let's stand up. Hey, some of you are listening. Thank you. Let's worship him together. I stand amazed in the presence.
Amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand for that. You may be seated. Hey, I want to welcome you this morning to the Ridge Church. So glad you're here. If you are a first-time guest, we would love for you, if you grabbed a bulletin on the way in the door, to open that bulletin up and to see all the way over on the far right-hand side a little place you can fold and tear, a little perforated strip there. And it is a guest card, and we'd love to know that you're here. You can turn that in by going just across the lobby to the welcome center, the little welcome uh, counter there, and we have a gift that we'd love to be able to give you. We say it every week, mean it every week, just want to say thank you. I know there's a lot of places you could be this morning, and for you to trust us and to come and hang out with us means the world to us, and we just want to say thank you for being here. Hey, if you haven't noticed, the pile is growing of uh, OCC boxes, Operation Woo! Christmas Child. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand for that too, right? <laughs> Several boxes have been brought in today. And uh, I want to tell you, you guys don't do anything halfway around here, and I am just blessed to be a part of this church family. I know you do it under the Lord, and I want to brag on Jesus first and foremost, but he's using you, and I'm telling you, we are just blessed and proud of you and your hard work with this. We are going to, on Thursday, begin the shipping process, so that means that we'll actually extend it out. If you still want to grab a box today, and along with a label and a, and a list of what to put in that, and bring it by Wednesday night. That'll work. You can drop it off anytime between now and Wednesday night. But Wednesday night, and uh, let's see how many as the Lord continues to lay on people's hearts, uh, how many children we can bless around the world in His name. Because in a matter of days, they're going to be opened in different places around the world, and even with a method of them being able to hear the gospel in their heart language, and we need to be praying. Thursday morning at 8 a.m., we start that, that shipping process. So if you want to come and help with that, that would be great too. About 8 a.m. right here in the auditorium. That'd be an incredible thing. One last thing, we're taking a dollar offering today for coats. Some people have brought a few coats in. This year, we're really not doing the coat drive in that way, just because hundreds of coats coming in from all kinds of different directions may not be the, the wisest thing at this moment. I don't know. However, some people have still uh, generously handed a coat, and we will take that by all means. We appreciate and love your generosity with that. But the main thing we're doing is a dollar offering. If you feel led to give, we have a relationship with some of the public schools around the area where some principals and different teachers know firsthand whenever a child walks in the door on a 10 above zero day with a windbreaker on, right? And so we know the, the, the sizes of coats, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be able to meet some very intentional needs. And it builds a bridge uh, back to our, to our church family as well, all in the name of Jesus. And so if you feel led to give, Roger will probably mention that again at the end of the service. There's a box back there where you can give uh, toward that dollar offering for the coat drive. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll return to worship. Father, again, we just say thank you. And Lord, you really are marvelous. God, if, if we could come up with every incredibly positive, strong word that's ever been spoken on, on any language that's ever been spoken on the planet, we could not come up with a word strong enough to describe how incredible and amazing and marvelous you are. And as Lord, right now, as brothers and sisters, as your children, we have the privilege to worship you together. Not only through this powerful venue called music that you created for us, but God, also through the preaching of your word. And God, I just thank you for a family that desires to come together. I know some will come together by live stream. And that's vital and just as important. And Lord, may we all, as your children, worship you today. And keep it about you. Uh, because it is all about you. We love you and we thank you. We ask it all again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our chance to say thank you, Lord. He's listening, waiting to hear your voice as we stand together and sing. 
Good to see everybody. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Job. And uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Job. Our plan is to finish Job next Sunday. So appreciate you being here. And one of the basic questions in the book of Job, is God enough? If everything were stripped away from our life, would having a relationship with God truly be enough? And hopefully that answer is yes. 
And so as we've talked about in the book of Job, God seems to peel back the layers of his life to get down to the real core issue of the book of Job. And again, just being honest, most of the time when I hear the book of Job taught or preached, it's almost always in the first two chapters that deal with the suffering, the loss, and those are certainly great chapters. But there's 42 chapters in Job, and really the issue of Job doesn't come out until all the discussion as we talked about last week. And so as God begins to peel back the layers in Job's life, he allows Satan to touch Job. And let me just say that everything Satan means for evil, God turns around and uses it for our good and for his glory. And so God allows Satan to touch his possessions, so those are taken away in chapter 1. He allows him to take away all of his children. I can't even wrap my mind and heart around losing all ten children at one time. But the Bible says when he heard that his stuff, his children were gone, he fell to the ground and he worshipped. And so I just want to say that hopefully God is enough in our life. And then in chapter 2, God allows his health to be touched. And even though he's suffering from head to toe, he still holds on to his faith in God. He refuses to speak against God and to curse God. And then in chapter 2, if you remember, his wife had her breaking point. And I just want to commend his wife. I think his wife had to be an incredible young lady. And so just to be able to go through everything she went through. But she had her breaking point. In chapter 2, she comes to Job and says, curse God and die. But even that, that would have been very tempting. Again, this is one time that you don't listen to your wife. 99.9% .9 of the time, always go with your wife. But occasionally, when your wife has a breaking point, you just got to filter that through and love on her. So even though his wife had a breaking point, he still trade true to God. His three friends came, and again, there's plenty to criticize about his three friends. But I just want to commend them for being willing to come to Job, to give up their time, and to sit with Job. I think they actually cared about him. They just didn't know what they were talking about. And sometimes we overanalyze the situation. But even though his three friends weren't all that comforting, he still held on to God. In chapter 3 that we talked about a couple weeks ago, it really reveals the struggle that he was going through mentally. He was really at a dark place. He never cursed God, but he did curse the day he was born. He cursed the day that he was conceived in his mother's womb. He was really really at a low point. And so after he kind of shared all that struggle in chapters 4 through 41, we talked a little bit about most of this last week, all the discussion between his three friends and Job. So after seven days of not saying anything, Job finally speaks up. And after Job kind of shares his struggles, his three friends who had been sitting there for seven days, they all chime in. And so through all this discussion, it gets down to the real issue of the book of Job, in my opinion, and that was the pride in Job's life. Because once the pride finally comes to the top, everything seems to change in the book of Job, if you remember. So we talked about how long did Job's suffering last. It seems like it lasted forever, but according to Job, in chapter 7, verse 3, he says, I am allotted months of futility and suffering and long nights of trouble and misery are appointed. My opinion is, and we don't know for sure, 
But I think his intense suffering was a period of months and days and not years and decades. But again, months and days of intense suffering is a long time indeed. And so again, a reminder, in the scheme of things, God is from everlasting to everlasting. It says in Psalms 90 verse 2, God created Satan, God created the earth. And when you think about Job's life, again, it was a little dot when you think about the scheme of God always being here, God will always be here. The 200 years or so that Job lived is really a very small and seemed like, in the, in the scheme of things, a very small thing. And yet God cared about every detail in Job's life. One day Satan will be done away with forever, and we're all looking forward to that day. So again, chapter 3, Job is pouring out his heart. He's sharing his struggles. He's really at a very low point as he's sharing about cursing the day that he was born. Last week we looked at a lot of these uh, chapters, chapters 4 through 31, which again, all of this discussion between the three friends and Job almost gets monotonous. And if you've ever read through the book of Job, it's easy to kind of skip over all these chapters. But in these chapters, I summarized his three friends as basically saying to Job, God only punishes the wicked and God only hears the righteous. And so in essence, they were saying to Job, you must have done something bad for God to do this. And so they were misrepresenting God. And they were saying to Job, if you were righteous, God would hear you. You know, when you're really, really down, you don't need people to throw, you know, dirt on you, throw water on you. And so Job, the whole time, he's defending himself. And so the whole time, nobody budges an inch, as we talked about last week. And so it ended last week in chapter 27. Job finally says, far be it from me that I should say that you are right. How many of you have a hard time saying you were wrong? Not, not of us, we're all very Christian. But sometimes it's hard in an argument to say, you know what? You're right, I'm wrong. And so Job says here, he didn't budge an inch. He says, far be it from me that I'm going to say that you guys are right. He says, my righteousness I hold fast. He held on to his right to be right. He wasn't going to change. Can y'all think of an argument where you argued you were intense and nobody changed? That's most arguments, by the way, <laughs> if we're being honest. Most arguments, nobody budges an inch. He says, I will not let go of my righteousness. My heart will not reproach me as long as I live. And so when he said, I am refused to be wrong, I refuse to give up my righteousness. The last verse we looked at last week, these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. You know, when the righteousness, when his pride finally got to the top and, and Job said, I am not going to admit I was wrong. His three friends finally stopped talking to Job because they realized a person that holds on to pride is a hard nut to crack. And so they finally were quiet. Now what we don't know, but we find out later, that while they're going through all this discussion, a young man walks onto the scene by the name of Elihu. I don't know at what point he walked on, but I can imagine Elihu being like someone at a tennis match. Have you ever watched the crowd at a tennis match? They watch the ball. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Everybody goes back and forth. And so I can imagine Elihu in, this, in this, all this discussion going from Job to his friends. Back, forth, back, 
forth. Now, he doesn't say anything, but his mind is churning, and he's analyzing the situation. And what Elihu says, there's six chapters where Elihu finally speaks up. Once they remain quiet, once they get to the point where Job said, I'm refusing to admit I'm wrong, his three friends said, there's no use talking to him because he's self-righteous. Then Elihu walks in and says, I've got to say something. So we don't know how long he was there, but he overheard the discussion. And in essence, if I could summarize Elihu's uh, message, it would be that all four of these guys, Job and his three comforters, were all speaking with supreme authority out of the vast storehouse of their ignorance. That they didn't know what they were talking about. And it's really hard to admit you're wrong. And so I want to look at Elihu as he comes on the scene in chapters 32 to 37. And again, I don't know when he came onto the scene. I don't know how old he was. But notice what he says. The wrath of Elihu was aroused against Job. Now, you would think there would be compassion with everything Job's gone through. But when he sees the pride in Job's life, it bothers him. And by the way, the text also says he was aroused against his three friends because they were misrepresenting God. He was really ticked off at all of them, all right? But he focuses more on Job because, again, pride is so hard to get to in the human life. You know, we can peel away a lot of layers of our life. But I believe the book of Job teaches us and reminds us that pride is probably the hardest thing to get to in a person's life. I mean, it just is so deep into our life. And so he says, I, my, the wrath of Elihu was aroused against Job because he justified himself rather than God. He says, I am young in years and you guys are really old. Now, I don't know how old they were. I don't know how old Elihu was. But how many of you know old age is all relative? It depends on where you are in the process. And so I, I remember our son went to work at Safety National. This was probably almost 10 years ago. He was in his low 20s. He said, everybody I work with is really old. And I'm thinking like he's in a retirement area, man. They're all just got one foot on retirement, one foot on, you know, on working. And so we, they had an open house and we got to go down to Safety National. And we're looking around. There's nobody old. They're, they're, he goes, I, I, we said, I thought you said all you, the people you work with were all really old. He goes, well, they were in their low 30s. <laughs> That's young. So age is all perspective, right? And so he says, I was young, you guys were old, therefore I was afraid to give my opinion. And so he sat there listening to these guys, but when the pride finally surfaced and, and, and Job finally said, I am not going to say I'm wrong. I'm holding on to my self-righteousness. The three friends finally realized there's no use talking. How many of you know it's wise sometimes in an argument to know when to quit? And so they finally quit. When pride finally gets to the top, they quit. Elihu comes on. Six chapters. He's analyzing the situation. But he's struggling with the pride that he sees in Job's life. That's why I think the central issue of Job is not suffering, although there are a lot of lessons about suffering and perseverance. But I believe the real issue of Job, and it took everything in Job to bring up this pride in his life. So Elihu goes on to say, great men are not always wise. Again, kind of digging him there a little bit. He says, nor do the aged always understand justice. 
Now, we should get a little wiser as we get older, but Elihu said sometimes even older people, we miss the practical thing. He says, I have waited until they answered no more. I too will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. I am ready to burst. Please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now, even though it seems a little bit harsh, I think Elihu saw something in Job's life that was disturbing, and that was again, his pride. He goes on to say, for Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. He said, do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? And so he's really bothered because again of the pride, that self-righteous attitude that he sees in Job. Now you may say, well, maybe he wasn't right. Maybe he was off base by criticizing the pride in Job's life. But after Elihu gets done with six chapters, mainly focusing on Job and his pride, then God chimes in. How many of you know when God chimes in, let's all stop and listen, all right? That's why I know it's the main thing. Because when Elihu exposes it, when he quits, the next couple chapters are God reeling off a series of questions that Job had no answer for. And so in chapters 38 and 39, God speaks. He reels off 59 questions that Job had no answer for. And by the way, if you ever just want to kind of humble yourself, read chapters 38 and 39 of Job and you'll realize or be reminded, we really know nothing of the power of God. We know nothing of how awesome our God is. And so he reels off these 59 questions. Now the Lord chimes in. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. I think that probably got Job's attention when God said, I'm going to chime in. I've got some questions to ask you. So even God sees that pride. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. I mean, God begins to reel off these questions. And again, Job has to finally realize, I didn't know what I was talking about. It's really hard to get to a point. I really do not have a clue at how awesome God is and the power of God. And so he says, tell me, where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He said, who determined its measurements? Surely you know to what were its foundations fastened. I mean, 59 questions, bang, 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 bang. And Job had no idea of the power of God. He continues, have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And so again, it almost seems like God is picking on him in a way, but that pride is so hard to crack. And so Elihu sees it when he's done, then God chimes in. He starts dealing with his pride. I just want to ask you, when was the last time God put his finger on your life about the pride in your life? You know, this week preparing this, and I get kind of excited thinking about Elihu and all these different things and all these great points. And, and one night I was just laying in bed this week and just, you know, just kind of thinking about everything. And God said to me, you're the problem. I tell you, when God puts his finger on your heart and says, you know what, you got a pride issue. I said, God, you, you, surely you're talking about Brenda, aren't you? Not me. I'm good. 
I sang how great thou art last week. I'm good. Yeah, when God puts his finger on your life and all of a sudden you realize how amazing God is and how little we know, that's a humbling moment to realize and just be broken before God. You know, it may be while you're driving down the road. I've seen people that just, God just comes on, just comes down, overwhelms, and they just literally have to pull off the side of the road and just have a moment with God. You know, it's really hard for God to break us to that point to get us that broken to where Job was. And so again, he continues, uh, he says, tell me if you know all this. He continues speaking there in chapters 40 and 41. He says to Job, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer. I mean, Job had to be almost blown away when God began to speak to him. And you know, when he finally discovered his self-righteous attitude, I want to say that's one of the hardest things to ever come to in your life is to find the place of how really pride is killing us and affecting us in our life. So Job answers God back here in chapter 40. He says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job finally realized that, that he didn't know what he was talking about. And by the way, once Job realized he didn't know what he was talking about, God says to him, in essence, now that you're wrong, you're right. Now that you've admitted your pride, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to defend you. And so the whole issue of Job, when the pride finally comes to the top, his three friends see it, they stop answering. Elihu sees it, and he's bothered by the pride in Job's life. And then when God chimes in with 79 questions, which he had no answer for, finally he's broken and he realizes, I didn't know what I was talking about. And again, once he admits he's wrong, God says, now that you're wrong, you're right. You know, it's getting to that place of brokenness that's really, really hard. It's really hard to get to. You know, even David said in Psalms 51, he said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Even David, a man after God's own heart, understood that what God is looking for is brokenness. You know, growing up in church, you, you, as a pastor, you want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. You want to wow everybody with your message. You want to have three points and a poem and a funny story somewhere in there. And so, but I just want to say to you, my problem has never been staying on the mountaintop. My biggest struggle is just being broken before God. I believe pastors struggle with pride as much as anybody. I get to hang around pastors a lot, and we sit and talk about a lot. And I could, again, probably count on one hand how many pastors have just wept and been broken about their own situation. I don't know if I've ever heard a pastor say, you know what, I'm guilty of pride. It's one of the hardest things to see in your own life. By the way, others can see it. The three friends could see it in Job. Elihu could see it. God could see it. God spoke to it. And, and in case you're wondering whether or not you have a pride issue, ask your kids. 
Or if you're really bold, ask your spouse. Because others can see in you what we cannot often see in ourselves. And so Job finally realizes, I didn't know what I was talking about. And so now God reels off another 20 questions, again, which Job had no answer for. Started with 59. He reels off another 20 questions. He says, now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. He's already got him down. I mean, he is broken. He's already admitted he didn't know what he was talking about. And while he's down, God throws in another 20 questions, just in case. There's an itty-bitty little pride in there. He goes on. I'm just giving you part of it. He said, would you condemn me so that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder uh, with a voice like his? And then Job responds back in chapter 42. And again, he is completely broken before God. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand. Wow. He said, God, I didn't know what I was talking about. Can I just be honest? In our greatest natural wisdom, we cannot even wrap our mind around the the greatness of God. And it's staying in that place of brokenness that I believe is a place where God wants to use us. Job goes on to say, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, everybody from the beginning, if this was the first book written, which many believe that it was, it deals with the age-old problem of pride. And again, it does deal with suffering, it does deal with perseverance, but the real root problem in Job's life was pride. Because again, it's something that we all struggle with, but when he really got into the presence of God and God revealed himself to Job, he was completely broken. One of the things you find from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the book of Revelation, whenever people truly get in the presence of God, they are always on their face broken. Now I believe, and I've had people say, Roger, we need, Pastor, we need, we need more excitement in the church. And I think we need some excitement at times. But I think the thing we're missing more than anything else is just being so much in the presence of God that once we're aware of His holiness, we're just broken before God. I remember the old days when people used to line the altar and people would weep at the altar. And you don't, it doesn't have to be at church, by the way. When God comes upon you, I mean, you just want to get alone somewhere and just get on your face before God. That's why one day when we get to heaven, according to Revelation, that we're going to be lying on our face before God and just lying and just worshiping God. I think we're going to be so amazed at the goodness of God and the glory of God. We're going to be so blown away that he would love us enough to be willing to come and to die on the cross so that you and I can spend an eternity with him. But the truth is, we don't really know that much of what's going on with God. That's why we need to stay broken and humble 
before God. Real quickly, just some basic lessons of, of the book of Job so far. The spirit realm is more real than the physical realm. Even though I get overwhelmed at what's going on in America and going on in my world, I just want to remind you, the book of Job reminds us that in the spirit realm, it's more real than what's going on in the physical realm, and God has a bigger picture in mind. Number two, Satan cannot predict the future. I love that. Satan isn't all that smart because he said to God, if you let me touch Job, he will curse you. And God let him touch him, and he still didn't curse him. Satan does not and is not good at predicting the future. If he really knew the future, he'd probably want to get right with God if he knew what his end was. But again, Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy us. I, uh, one of Satan's greatest desires, number three, is to get us to curse or to speak evil about God. I think Satan loves it when we grumble and complain about life. When we grumble and complain, we're showing a lack of faith in God, that God has everything under control. Number four, again, what Satan means for evil, God always uses for our good. I absolutely believe from the book of Job that everything that comes our way has first of all been okayed by God, and it's for our good and for his glory. And sometimes that's hard. Pride is so difficult to expose and is the last thing that we hold on to. And number six, see life not in the moment of suffering, but in the eternal purpose of God. And so next week, we're going to end the book of Job. Next week, we get to find everything restored. Next week is a mountaintop sermon. All good. It's a good, happy ever after uh, message. But in order to get there, he first had to be taken to the valley and broken. I want to ask you, when was the last time God put his finger in your heart and said, you know what, you really have a problem with pride? I remember Manly Beasley saying one time, he was an evangelist, and he kind of blamed his wife for, not, for him not being more spiritual. He said, God, I would do more for you. My ministry could do so much more if my wife was more spiritual. That's pride. And God said to Manly Beasley, I heard Manly Beasley share the story. As he was telling God how unspiritual his wife was, God said to Manly Beasley, your problem is not your wife. It's you. And all your wife does, your wife is like your heavenly sandpaper. She rubs you the wrong way. I let her do that just to bring out what's in your heart, and that's your pride. I wonder today how many, when you came today, honestly, were saying to God, God, more than anybody today, I need a fresh touch from you. You know, sometimes when I preach on pride, I have people come up and say, I wish so-and-so were here. They needed that. That's pride. I want us just to take a minute and pray. You know, the book of Job is so incredibly rich. That's why James says it shows the, the compassion and the mercy of God. Often we see Job only in a negative sense, but everything God allowed Job to go through. I believe if you were to ask Job, and one day I want to sit down in heaven and say, Job, tell me, was it worth everything you went through? To get to that pride, I think he will say, absolutely. Wouldn't it be amazing if not one of us left here today holding on to pride?
but we were just so broken before God that we were willing to admit we don't know what we're talking about. I just want us to pray, and I know people here are struggling. We're going through things in life. There's so many incredible lessons from the book of Job. But I believe God wants us just to be broken before him and just ask him to fill us with his spirit. So I want to ask you to stand, if you will. Let's just take a moment. I just want you to build an altar right where you are. And I want you just to imagine yourself in a little circle around yourself. And would you ask revival, ask God for revival to begin inside of that circle? Would you ask God just to fill you with His Spirit? Let's admit to God that we really don't know what's going on in the spirit realm, that God is way bigger. And again, it's when Job said, God, I didn't know what I was talking about, that God turned around and said, in essence, now that you're wrong, you're right. Would you just ask God to fill you? And when God lays, God lays somebody on your heart, somebody that's here today, I just want you to pray for them. If anybody here needs prayer, you can slip out and come. I'm going to ask Kurt Keller, if you will, to come up. I have Kurt lead us in a word of prayer, then we're going to close out with a song. I want to say to you, and I think I, every time I preach on something, I feel like I'm the worst one. And I feel like talking about pride, I, mean, I feel like God said to me, you struggle with that more than anybody. And so I want you to pray for me. I appreciate uh, Kurt and Carol. They they're one of those people behind the scenes. They're wiping down everything between each service. I know people say, I don't know who that couple is, but they have an amazing servant heart. I appreciate them. I just appreciate their heart to serve God and do whatever it takes to serve the Lord. And I appreciate everybody. So I'm going to ask him uh, to lead in prayer. And I want you to pray for me. I feel selfish praying for me. But the reason I think I need it is I'm probably more hard-headed more struggling with pride than anybody and so my heart is to stay broken before god i don't know what god wants to do we're living in a crazy time in america and the only answer i know is to be broken before god and letting god use our life and so i just want us to spend a moment and i'm gonna have uh, i just want you to have about 15 20 seconds of silence and then i'm gonna ask kurt to voice a prayer pray for me and pray for our church family I love you guys. I look forward to next week. Next week's going to be a fun sermon talking about everything being restored. But before we can talk about the mountaintop, we got to get down to the valley and get down to that surgery that needs to happen. So let's pray together. 
again, just some time of silence, and I'll have Kurt voice a prayer. I appreciate, again, his heart, his willingness to serve our body. And then we'll close out with a song. Don't forget on the way out, there'll be a little basket back there. If you want to give to the coat drive, don't feel like you have to. And also on the right, as you're going out, there's a box for prayer requests. I really want to encourage you to, to pray about writing down what's on your heart, what you're battling with. Because every week they take that box and they pray over every single request. And so if it's something very personal, just don't put your name on it. I'd rather you be real and transparent about what you're struggling with and just put it in that box. And I just want to guarantee you that you will be prayed for this week. And so I think praying specific is really important. So let's just have a moment of silence and then uh, I'll have Kurt lead us in prayer. Our most high and wonderful Lord, we just come to you. We come to you with humble hearts. Lord, we just ask to be with our pastor. We ask to be with the rest of our pastoral staff. We just ask you to touch their lives, and we just thank you so much for the ministry that they have. Lord, we know that Satan attacks them with piercing arrows. We just ask you to defend them and to protect them. Lord, we ask you to be with each and every person in this service. We ask you to be with each and every person online and all those on our, in our other campuses that are listening now. We just pray that you will protect them and guide them. We just pray that you will soften their hearts so that we all can listen to you and know the directions that you have for our lives. Lord, we thank you for how much you have blessed us, how much you have blessed our nation. And now, Lord, we just ask you to fix this mess that our country's in. We just ask that people's eyes might be open and our country might turn back to the standards that we find in the Bible, those standards which founded our country. We just pray that you'll be with our country and heal our country. And we just thank you for how, once again, you have blessed our country in such magnificent ways. And now, Lord, as we go out this coming week, we just ask that we might be a witness for you, that, we, that people might see your love and how much you really care for each and every one of us. And, Lord, if the opportunity is there, we just ask you to give us the boldness to share that you are the one and only way to heaven and that you love us, and that you're there for us, and that we know that you are in control, and that all things work for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name.